It, oh, we are. There we are. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. They're coming to get you, Barbara. I ate his liver with some fries and a nice candy. Here's Johnny. Vanity. Definitely my favorite set. <laughs> I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. The power of Christ come upon you. This is my boomstick. What's your favorite scary movie? And welcome. Good evening. Uh, welcome to Shiver, a horror movie podcast. I am your host, David, and with me as usual is Neri. Howdy. <laughs> wow. All right. Uh, Co-opting <laughs> co co my... Uh, my 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 usual welcome there okay and uh and, and also with me as usual is daniel what up y'all <laughs> there you go that's that's a little better all right <laughs> so um we uh we tonight are are doing something that i absolutely love which is talking about a uh, a bonafide classic Wait, um, i'm sorry to interrupt dave you didn't give your name bro I did. I said I am your host, David, and oh, with I'm me sorry. as usual is just, please, please, please try to keep up. I apologize. Try, try to keep up, man. I was, um, I was busy writing the howdy bit. I didn't realize. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're that kid in class who was thinking, all right, so there's there's six kids ahead of me. Yeah. The teacher's having them all read five yeah. lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay, here it is. And then you miscount, you're like, uh Wait, where were we? <laughs> yeah. We have a comment. I don't know if you want to put the comment up. Um, oh, yeah. Here we go. Uh, so even before we even get started, Robert Hernandez says, Neri knows nothing about horror. So um, it makes it so good. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, Robert, that's not true. I know that I'm scared of it. Uh, I know that I don't like that's it. Something. Those that's are something. two things that I know. Uh, yeah, no, uh, just, he's, I, obviously this is his, his first episode, uh, with us. Uh, yes, that's why they have me on here is because they want to scare the fucking bejesus out of me. And then therefore I gave my reviews on how much of a wuss I was, <laughs> you, but you are correct, Robert. I do not know anything about horror. Um, I, that was part of the reason why Neri was, was brought on board, uh, in, in the very first place back in 2017, uh, this is something that that I had thought of and um, and talked about with with Jeff, who's um, uh, also on on the Mount Geekmore uh, podcast, and uh, and and so we were like, okay, well, should we involve Nary in this because he's not a horror guy, and uh, the general consensus was, yeah, why not get the 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 opinion of someone who isn't. Uh, inclined to to like horror in this way we're we're getting the opinion of someone who uh you know might have a different opinion you know uh it's it's through those uh those different views that we get i think good conversation and um and you know when it's narrow you're you're getting trolling so 
you also, know, there's, there's I was that. the one that had the recording equipment at that time. So, <laughs> right, <laughs> we're doing the virtual thing where everybody has a recording equipment. We were actually coming to my house and I had microphones and recorders and stuff. So, yeah. well, I mean, we very well could have done it at at, uh, at my band's recording studio. It's true. Um, it was. Uh, it, only it was. You wanted, only you wanted better quality. That's so. I mean, that's the only thing you would have had. Better this quality. sounds like it was mixed by Rick Rubin. <laughs> Everything's just dimed out. That's uh, <laughs> that's that's it. Yeah. Uh, just you know, these shiver. Eleven. The only podcast recorded in D minor. <laughs> it sounds better on vinyl. It's, it's, it's warmer. I, th I think D minor is is the uh, it's the saddest of all keys. <laughs> the song's called "Lick My Lick My Love Pump." <laughs> um, Debona, did you get new glasses? Uh, I just have a variety of glasses. Yes. Um, oh, okay. I've yeah. never seen those before. Yeah, At least I, found, I don't think I have. No, I just I happened to find them while I was getting dressed today. I was like, oh, these work. Oh, okay, cool, cool. Um, so as I was saying, uh, we are doing something today that I love doing, which is talking about a bonafide classic. I, I grew up on, on, on classics, whether it be uh, drama, action, uh, horror. Uh, so uh, these, these classic movies, which, you know, oftentimes are the um, you know, kind of like the, the, the cornerstones of, of their, their genre, uh, the influences for, for the, the later movies that came, these, these are the ones that, that I, I truly love. So when, when DeBona said, Hey, I want to do Rosemary's baby. I got so excited because I hadn't seen this movie in years. Um, I've only seen it a handful of times, but it's, it's one of those movies where I, I, I remember how old I was, uh, the first time I saw it, how much it affected me. It's, it's, it's one of those things. Um, so neither, um, neither of you have seen this movie before um, uh, the last couple of days, correct? Correct. Uh, this is, uh, this is one that I've always known about. Like it's always been out there. I've, I've, I know Rosemary's baby, but I've never actually sat down and just watched the whole thing before last night. Right. Yeah, that, that's uh, I watched it today for the first time, which is why I know exactly how old I was when I first watched it. Uh, <laughs> I also know that. Uh, I'm the same way. I, I, I remember working at Blockbuster as an 18, 19-year-old kid, and I remember recommending this movie based simply off of the iconicness of the title because I right. had never seen the movie. And I, I, I would give disclaimers like, look, I've never seen it, but this is what, this is a classic even that I know about. Like, this is one of those things, you know. So yeah. it's it's also one of those movies that um, doesn't sit um, neatly into the horror genre. Uh, it's oftentimes called uh, a thriller or a family drama. Um, so it, uh, it, there's definite elements of horror in this. I, I don't think that can be denied. But there's there's so much more that goes into this movie than than just the horror. Um and and it was directed by one of the you know undisputed heavyweights of uh, of of cinema. Uh, now, I mean, Roman Polanski obviously is is a is a garbage human being. Correct, right? Um, he's he's one he's one of these people where after I found out um, all of the controversy around him, uh, what had happened uh, with him, why he no longer works in Hollywood. Um, these things like really made it impossible for me to continue to watch 
his movies that I had not yet seen. There's a lot of his movies that I haven't seen yet. However, some of his classics that I had already seen and fallen in love with, like Repulsion, like uh, Rosemary's Baby, like Chinatown, which is one of my all-time favorite movies. Um, I, I don't know that anything could ever make me stop loving these movies, even knowing that you know, he is one of the, you know, most garbage human beings uh, in existence right now. Well, I approach this as the, you know, just the necessity of separating the art from the artist, right? I tried yeah. to just, I tried to just view this movie for what it was at its place in time, um, a, what it is, how influential it was to the genre, stuff like that, that we'll get to. And I, like, like I said, it was very much that, that idea of just like, okay, I am just taking in this. He's not making a dime off me watching this. So that doesn't matter. Um, and that, that's how I approached it and made myself feel a little bit better because you're right. He is uh, a flaming dumpster of a human being. Yeah. And, and I think that when you have someone that they create such high art, right? Like, and, and I, I, I do think that Rosemary's Baby is art like he uh, and and polanski has a way of doing that uh you watch chinatown and it's like everything that he gets his fingers on um is is incredible uh it just so happens that you know he's he's a he's a rapist yeah it just so Um, happens that unfortunately he likes to get his fingers on a lot of the wrong and underage things yeah yeah so uh terrible awful um you know i I don't want to make this about polanski uh we will have to talk about him uh, a little later when we talk about directing and cinematography and stuff like that um but but this this is um you know this is something of a magnum opus for him yeah, I mean, um, this was his first American film. And, yeah. uh, I mean, he was completely untested. Uh, I believe Castle was supposed to do this movie, ended up just do, getting a producer credit. Um, he was completely untested. They did not know what they were getting themselves into when they turned this over to Roman Polanski. And when he when he did get a hold of it, he immediately looked at it and was like, you know what, this is an amazing idea, but what you guys have is not what I want to make. And I mean, he frame off rebuilt this thing um, from the book and created his own script and his own vision for it. So while we do want to talk about separating the art from the artist, I, there, it's impossible to not acknowledge the fact that it is Roman Polanski that made this movie what it is. A hundred percent. Robert Evans, who was uh, one of the, the heads at, at Paramount at the time, um, he pretty much ripped this away from William Castle. Yeah. And, and, and Castle, like you said, is, is one of these guys. Um, I mean, he's a legend. He's like a Roger Corman, right? Um, he's one of the masters of the B movie, you know, uh, one of the schlock masters. Right. And, uh, and he's great at what he does. I mentioned the tingler <laughs> last week, yeah. you know, um, house on haunted Hill is, is another one of those. So, um, like this, this guy is, is definitely, you know, in the name, uh, in the list of, of, of horror directors, he's going to come up, but he's not the guy to do this. And, uh, and so for, for him to, you know, take a step back and say, yeah, you know, I, I'll take that producer credit. Uh, let, let's give this, uh, let's give this new guy a, a chance to, um, to, you know, kind of prove himself and, and we'll, we'll see what he's made of. Um, that was, I, I, I think 
pretty cool. You know, so when, when you see a horror movie that is directed by um, you know, a quote unquote legitimate director, right? Someone who doesn't just stick to the genre, someone who diversifies, who makes movies that um, get nominated for awards. Like that's, that's something you got to pay attention to, which is why like Neri, when you say that uh, working at Blockbuster, you recommended this movie without even having seen it like that, that makes sense. You know, uh, there's in all fairness, they came back and were not happy with my pick. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the couple of, like, I remember vividly because I recommended a couple of movies before them, before that, and they were very happy. They're like, What do you think? We're on a scary movie, and I was like, Well, and I remember saying, Rosemary's Baby isn't a classic, it's uh, iconic. And I remember saying these, and I said, To be fair, I have not seen the movie, but mm -hmm. this is what it, it's known as a, and they're like, Really? I've never, okay. And then they came back and they're like, we, we fucking thought the movie was boring. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, I, I, that's the impression that I had. That's what they told me. This yeah. is uh, 22 years ago. So, yeah. Well, now, now that we're on that subject, let's let, let's talk about that. All right. Uh, the, the movie is 96% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Like, th that's not nothing to shake a stick at. Uh, this is one of those movies where when, uh, like you said, you, you mentioned the iconic horror movies. Um of, of all time, this movie is on that list and high up on that list. Uh, you know, it, it, it goes, it goes up there with, you know, night of the living dead with, uh, the, the exorcist, uh, Frankenstein, you know, going back. So uh, this is one of those movies that people often refer to as one of the best. Do you think that's deserved? Did you did you enjoy it firstly and and secondly do you think the reputation that it has is deserved? So we we can start with you Neri since you were just talking about this. Uh well, I I I uh it's, okay, so the, did I enjoy it? I enjoyed uh most of it. Uh most of the movie I enjoyed uh and the parts that I did enjoy, I enjoyed a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh considering the fact that I'm especially the fact that I'm a wuss uh and there wasn't like too much like oh you know but i did what i did enjoy i enjoyed rather third. what i did enjoy i enjoyed 96 percent of it uh and then what i didn't enjoy i did not enjoy 96 percent of it uh <laughs> so i would say the 96 percent rating is well deserved um i'm trying to put myself uh, do i think the movie is worth the hype or worth the iconicness that it's that its namesake has carried I think uh, looking at it through the lens of trying to be like this is from 1976 or whatever, whatever. 68, you know, 68, 68 yeah, even further. Um, uh, so 19, so looking at it from the lens of somebody who's watching this movie in 1968 or in the 60s or in the early 70s, I would be like, yeah, this, I, I get it, I understand. Um, I this movie and this is going to be something that nobody here is going to agree with, but this movie I think is good for what it is. And I think it could, it's one of the movies we've talked about this before that could really, really much benefit from a remake. Um, because I think that nowadays, I think you would be able to add something to this movie, not just a shot by shot remake, but a like you would be able to, you know, new film techniques and new, you know, whatever. You know, I don't want to say CGI, but you know, new things like that. But I think for what the movie is, I uh, look, I'm just gonna be honest, I enjoyed the fuck out of this movie for everything except the last scene of the movie. I mean, oh I mean, man, really? Last fucking shot. The last shot. I was like, "Oh, fuck you." Like I just got <laughs> so like, but it was 
like I was so, I was like just jerking the I was like this movie's amazing it's fucking great I was like I was like rah rah cheering and then that last last fucking I I mean the last shot I was like oh fuck you like I was just like it just got so ugh. uh but like I said 90, I I rather enjoy the fuck out of uh, most of this movie so take it for what it is Debona, uh, I think that that a lot that everything that this movie's garnered as praise is is well deserved. I think that the movie is uh, beautifully paced and shot. I think that um, for 68, I mean, it's a keystone movie. Without this movie, we wouldn't have The Omen. We wouldn't have Exorcist. We wouldn't have yeah. some of these things that came afterwards when Rosemary's Baby proved that there's a compelling story to be told um, about the you know the devil essentially. Um, so when you, when you start to look at a lot of the things that this movie accomplished, um, I tried to go back and see if there were examples of movies from prior to this one, where until the final, you know, 10 minutes of the movie, whether or not what you thought was happening was actually happening. I tried to find other examples of movies that did that, uh, prior to this, but it's something that's hard to Google. And so, (laughs) yeah, Wait, um, I'm I'm confused. What do you what? What do you Okay. Doing? So so w- my favorite thing about Rosemary's Baby is the entire time they always leave just this much doubt in your mind that maybe she is just kind of crazy oh. and oh, I know, right? I mean like you get it. You you know, you know what the movie's about, but they always there's always just a little something to be like Oh, I didn't know what the baby. I, first of all, I didn't know what the movie was about. FYI. Right. I, I knew Rosemary's Baby. I assumed horror movie. There's a baby involved. I don't, you know, like I didn't. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I didn't go too deep into it. I didn't really. I never really stopped and thought about it. But it was just like my brother. You know, my brother said that about Training Day. He was like, "Yeah, you know, when I first watched the movie, I didn't know if this guy was a good cop or a bad cop, Alonzo." And I was like, "Nah." <laughs> no, that wasn't at all. He, I well, thought it was a bad cop from the fucking job. I mean, and they, they very, they very much are like, look, yeah. no, all of this is, you know, the, these, these are terrible people. These are witches. This was not a dream. She was impregnant. You know, like they, they always, you know, that it's ninety nine percent that, but then, uh, but then there's always just a little bit of doubt. There's always a little bit of. Ooh, maybe she's just not handling this well. And um, I mean, like when when she suddenly when the pain suddenly goes away and then she's just back to having a normal pregnancy. Um, and then it's like, OK, maybe she just had a really bad first trimester, which uh, when my first when my ex-wife was pregnant with my first son, she had a miserable first trimester. She was sick mm-hmm. almost 24 hours a day. Um, she was losing weight, things like that. So I was like. You know, so you just, it's just enough. It's just enough of a seed. But then they come back heavy handed. Boom, boom. They're witches. Everything's bad. Everything's bad. And then it's like, ah, well, he doesn't have a mark. Like she was convinced that her husband was going to have a witch's mark. And that's why he started sleeping in pajamas. And then they show you he doesn't. And it's like, oh, well, maybe, maybe she is just like paranoid and has, and has issues. And, and I get that they were very heavy handed with making, you know, what was happening, but then they would always come back just enough to make you wonder if it was just paranoia. And that's what carries this movie and keeps it so interesting for a movie where, if we're being genuinely honest, not a lot happens in two hours of this movie, but they keep you guessing. They keep you on board. And like I said, it's very much a keystone in, in so much of what horror has become. Uh, so I would definitely say that a 96% fresh rating is very well earned. Um, one of the things that Roman Polanski said in interviews after um, after the movie was made is that he carefully crafted those dream sequences so that there wouldn't be a lot of 
ambient noise. Yeah. And, and that so, so that the people who were speaking would be speaking mostly in hushed tones. Uh, he says, when, uh, when a person dreams, the dream isn't loud. It's typically quiet. Um, you know, people are whispering, but they're not shouting. You know, you, you never wake up startled from, from a dream and like, you know, clutch your ears because there was like, like a loud crash or something like that in, in the dream that you, that you audibly was, you know, were like disturbed by the, the volume of this thing. And through to that last scene where she's walking through the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, that partition there into the next apartment, every single dream sequence is filmed that way. Um, and we, we also get a lot of POV style shots. They're not exactly POV, but POV style. Um, yeah, it's like that sort of over the shoulder thing in those dream sequences where we're either getting like tight close-ups of Rosemary's face or what she's looking at. And we got a lot of that in that final scene. So even that final scene could be a um, uh, a, a dream, you know. Um, what what Doctor Saperstein says, you know, about uh, prepartum depression. I, I actually looked this up, and there's um, postpartum depression uh, can actually occur before you give birth, months before you give birth. And and so it is it is possible that she's suffering from some sort of psychosis brought upon by the the stress of, of having this baby. Um, I think that I think that this this deserves the, the title of, of classic, you know, uh, of masterpiece, whatever you want to call it. Um, I, I, I definitely think that that it deserves it. And I think largely why comes down to Mia Farrow. She's just like absolutely amazing in in this movie which which brings me to my uh you know the the next point that I want to talk about which is uh acting. There's uh, there's really only four characters in this movie. Uh Hutch comes in occasionally, you know, he's there in the beginning, he comes in towards the middle and then his influence comes in at the end. But really, we're only talking about four characters here. Yeah, I mean, we're looking at uh, we're looking at the you know, Rosemary and her husband and the the Kasovitzes. Uh, yeah. and, and and that's that's the whole movie. You, you get a little Saperstein. You, you get a little yeah. You get a little Hutch. Um, you know, there's the one scene where they have the party for all of their their mm-hmm. old young friends. Uh, but and they really do kind of hoist this movie up, and so much of what's going on uh, is is dependent on how you view the relationship between Rosemary and her husband, which is you know I, I guess I, yeah problematic at best. I guess looking at it from the view of the, of the fact that you know we're in 2021 now, like right. uh, you know like this you know so much of this just boils down to the one time when she was when she was drunk and uh and he decided to go ahead and have sex with her anyway and she's like maybe yeah. i remember maybe it was with the devil maybe yeah, she, i was yeah, she, dreaming she, she says I, I i dreamt that i was being raped and he says why well, I, I didn't want to miss baby night 
Yeah. And she says, but you did it while I was like out. Yeah. And then she says, you know, well, we could have done it this morning or tonight, but then it's just like, uh, okay, well, whatever type thing, you know? So viewing mm -hmm. that, you know, 54 years later, you're like, holy shit. Like, uh, I yeah. Make a joke. As I'm watching the movie, I kept like every little, like every so often, and it happened so, very often. And I kept making a joke. I was like, they could have just called this movie gaslighting. Yeah, like, fucking movie yeah. It's been called gaslighting. It's like, oh no, you're crazy. Oh no, you're, and you're, and you're, and you were talking, you were talking about a movie, you know, due for a remake. Now that the gaslighting is a, a mainstream term and, and something that's very much in the public eye, it, it you're the, not only are you right that this movie is ripe for a remake, but this might be the time to do it. Yeah, I, I, I there were so many things. I mean, I, I just I remember telling, I told my wife, I go, you you'd like this movie. She was like. Yeah, I go, yeah, because it's not a true horror movie. It doesn't do, like, the jump scares and stuff like that. I go, the thing that would uh, upset you the most would be the treatment of this woman, of this pregnant woman. Because my wife is, like, one of those, like, you know, every time she gets pregnant, somebody says some stupid shit to her and she goes off the fucking rocker with it. Oh, rightfully so, by the way. Like, you know. But I was like, yeah. yeah. So this, this type of shit, like, oh, go away in a couple of days. Like, motherfucker, what? Like, are you out of Like, oh, no, you're not going to go get a second opinion. Like, what the fuck? Are you Yeah, your like, mind? his, and that's, you know, so many of those interactions, we're you know, we're talking about the acting. Those two um, were, were so great together. Um, with Mia Farrow playing, you know, starting off as the demure, you know, female lead who's just kind of there doing whatever her husband says. And her only goal in life is to have babies once they move into this place and watching her grow as a person and start to uh, achieve a level of autonomy over her and her baby while, you know, becoming more and more aware of the fact that her husband's not the great guy that he mm. that she thinks he is. And this is why the last fucking frame upset me so much. She did so much fucking personal growth and she became that fucking warrior. And I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to fucking, this guy's a piece of shit. And she's, you know, I, at one point she spits in his face and I'm like, yeah, fuck mm -hmm. it. You tell him Rose, you tell him Rose, go fucking, you do your shit. That's right. <laughs> end up like, I'm like, oh, fuck. She's also faced with the, this is the only way I get to keep my kill baby. Kill that motherfucker, bro. You have right, to so, kill that motherfucker, you need, you bro. Need, you need to approach this from the uh, from, from the, the eyes parents. of someone in, yeah. in the 60s. No, not even just the parent, but from someone in the 60s. So that lack of autonomy over yourself was commonplace for a woman in the 60s, right? Uh, where she was told, no, this is the doctor you're going to go see. No, stop reading that book, right? Um, oh, and when he first said, don't, don't take any vitamins, I was like, oh, 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 hey. I was like, oh, hell no, man. It's going to be so fucked. Like, I got so angry. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I get yeah, what you're saying. You know, I, just, I was just like, oh, God. When, when, she, when she finally, like, gets to see her baby, like, it is her baby, you know, and and for for all that this movie does to show how um, like the 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 woman can be, you know, brought down and and, you know, controlled. It also shows us at the end. One way to interpret that ending is um, like does she really have that much of a choice when when this is the society that that surrounds her right 
if you're told this is what you do, this is what you want, right? And she wants that family. That's what she says. She wants it more than anything in the world, right? And these witches gave her husband the career that he was asking for, right? Um, and they gave her the child that she's been wanting so desperately, no, no, no. right? No, no, they gave her a child, not the child that she's been like. They're, like the child, I'm pretty sure that when she was hoping for a child and wanting a child, <laughs> you, know, want, you know, a child with hooves, and yeah. I'm pretty sure that wasn't the fucking thing. I get what you're saying. It just in my mind, she had done so much growth, especially looking at it from the prism of somebody in the 60s. She did so, for, uh, for a woman in the 60s. She did so much growth. She did. <laughs> uh, she did so much growth and she got so like she was like I, she she had become the person that in 2021 you'd be like, yeah, that's the person you should be. Uh, and then she just with that fucking dumb smile. I was like, I, I would the whole time. When that last scene, when she looked in the crib, I was being Sydney from White Man Can't Jump. And I was like, hey, <laughs> this motherfucker right here. Just, hey, sit this motherfucker's throat. Like, I just, I was so like, kill it. Fucking kill it. You're right there. I kill somebody. Please kill somebody. Like, kill your husband. Kill the fucking old man. Kill that lady that downs and shut the fuck up. Kill somebody, please. And then nothing. nothing but that, but that, is, that is to ignore the conditioning that's gone on here. Where like why why does she submit to the doctor and not ask any of her friends, right? Until until the party comes and they're like, hey, what's going on? Like you look like shit, right? Um, why does she not take the pills, right? It's not until she gets information from someone else where she's finally like, yes, I'm I'm gonna take some sort of ownership in my life and I'm gonna do something about it, right? But realize it's not even just the witches. When she goes back to see Dr. Hill, who's not in on this plot to, you know, uh, take this baby from her and and to to involve Satan and all of this. What does he do? He calls her husband and he calls the doctor, the very people that she's obviously, you know, uh, terrified of. She is either she's either telling the truth. Right. And there is a plot to uh to to have her birth the antichrist right or she is deranged and needs help not from the people that she's claiming are doing this right but that doesn't matter because she's living in a patriarchal society that is putting her down i i just, and, and I, I think i think mia farrell does such a good job at projecting that sort of like silent strength right she obviously like she's she's not she's not tall she's she's not uh she weighs she's, 85 pounds she's soaking wet thick. right yeah she she's like she is built like a like a fairy right um but there's something in her eyes there's a resolve in her right when she finally picks up that knife in in the last like 10 minutes of the movie i'm like oh fuck yeah like that's what we've been seeing on the inside and it's finally coming out right but that conditioning has been there where she it's like where it's like no sit down let the men handle everything she finally tried to live up to that vidal sassoon haircut <laughs> which by the way so, did so not when, for, for eight months which is when uh stayed at the salon bro yeah. when when marcado tells her like you are its mother 
like that does something to her. Right. There's there's a there's you know, a switch there's, there's a switch that's yeah. There's a that switch. Erased, that and that's where my issue was. It erased it erased the eight months of her growing. And I disagree with you when you said that she did it. It wasn't until her friends. She was already taking initiative. She already had stopped taking the milkshake that this lady was making her. She already had she already had uh, stopped taking it for three days. She took the initiative to plan this party and made it clear to her husband. Those people are not invited. Anybody who's under 60 is not invited. I don't want this guy. I don't want that lady. I don't want that lady. Nobody's invited. She already had taken that. You're right. She she had stopped taking the, the she smoothie. She had stopped yeah. taking the smoothie. She had taken She had, uh, all of this was already a thing in her. Like, she already had made a, a uh, she looked accomplished. She, uh, <laughs> she did. She looked accomplished. <laughs> Fuck. Um, but that's what the whole thing is. Um, uh, Missy yeah. says she's very much enjoying watching Rosemary's <laughs> Baby without ever having to watch it. It, it is, but that's what that and it, it's a, I, Missy. It, it, she's another one. She's a fellow scaredy cat like I am. And this movie is not. You'll be fine. I promise you. This movie is. You're you're not gonna have any. You're gonna get more angry at the patriarchal fucking uh, aspect of this movie than you are anything else. Uh, but that 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 was my resentment. It wasn't, and it wasn't that the movie was that the ending was bad. Uh, it was just that it was unsatisfying to me. Because yeah, she had grown so much. And again, I'm looking at it. You're totally right. I'm looking at it from the perspective of it's like me when I finished La La Land. Well, I never saw it. <laughs> it's just not the ending I wanted. <laughs> I, um, you know, I, I had the opposite reaction with La La Land, and I was expecting to, I was expecting to hate it because everyone was like, "Oh, the ending sucked," and and I was like. No, I liked it. You know, <laughs> in, interestingly, Neri, when I first saw Rosemary's Baby, I loved everything about it except the ending. Yeah. And over the years, the ending has has grown on me. Where uh, for for all the reasons they explained, but I I, I think ultimately it, it it boils down to her her desire to have uh, a baby and a family so much outweighs whatever his has happened and 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 the 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 conditioning is right so and so strong and and so ingrained i mean it, it is essentially brainwashing right so uh it it's it's taken such a hold over her that she almost doesn't have a choice um missy says the audio went out can you uh, hear me can you hear us now can you hear us now missy so we can all hear each other yeah. yeah, that's odd. So before we move on from talking about actors, I do want to point out one more thing. Can we acknowledge the fact that Charles Grodin was a stone cold fox in the late sixties? Yeah, like uh, I was good looking I was, dude. Yeah, like when they, she goes to visit him towards the end there, and I was staring. I was like, "Why is this guy so familiar? Like, I know that face. I know Who's that face." Who, who, uh, Charles the, Grodin. Charles Grodin played Doctor Grodin Hill. Played, uh, Dr. Hill. Mm. And I mean, uh, yeah, her one of her girlfriends was like, "Oh, look at that fox!" Huh? Yeah, and like, and I was like, "Why is this guy's face so familiar?" And the credits rolled, and I was like, "Oh my god, that was Charles Grodin!" Like, yeah, and I, but yeah, like I was like, "He, damn!" Like I was blown away at how 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 attractive late sixties Charles Grodin was. I, you know, I'm a product of the eighties. I only know him as a as a curmudgeonly old man, <laughs> and so to see him in the late sixties really blew me away. <laughs> Um, I, I also don't want to move on from acting without acknowledging Ruth Gordon, who plays uh, Mrs. Castavet. She, I think, is a scene stealer. Every without a doubt, every single scene that she's in, she just fucking 
robs everyone blind. She is, I mean, and obviously uh, the Academy thought so too. They gave her the, uh, the, the Oscar for best supporting actress that year. But I, I think, um, and Mia Farrow talks about it in a lot of the interviews that she's given as well, where she would do little things, tiny little like quirks that she would put into the character that would bring the character to life. And, and uh, she, she listed off a couple things and I started looking out for them. This, uh, this passed through the movie. And I was like, Oh my God, she's right. Like that really does help bring this character out. That's something that Peter Cushing used to do all the time. Uh, Christopher Lee says that Peter Cushing would never do anything without doing something with his hands. So he would pick up something and start, you know, fiddling with it or it just, it brings the character to life, uh, which is why it's so weird to see him in uh, like a new hope with his hands right. behind his back. And he's very not Peter Cushing. Like when you finally see him as like Dr. Frankenstein or something like that, or well, Van Helsing. It's so vital to uh, her role in, in the movie as well to to be able to steal a scene and control a conversation and always steer where it goes, uh, especially when being faced with someone like a Rosemary that she she is using as a chess piece. And so she very much has to stay in that that game master position. Uh, she always has to be one step ahead. She always has to have something in response, something to say or do. Uh, for everything that Rosemary does, she has to be in that position. So to then to for for this actress to take that role so perfectly, and mm -hmm. to uh, you, like you go back and and uh, I'm I'm actually I'm I'm really excited to go back and watch this again at some point because now that I know exactly kind of how it all lays out, I want to go back and watch for all those moments where she completely stole the conversation and made sure that she steered everything exactly where she wanted it to be, even if it was just. Uh, you know, talking about her husband controlling conversations. That was another uh, that was another mm -hmm. opportunity for her to make sure that everything was going the way she was directing it. And so it became so vitally important that she was able to not just take a scene, but to take a moment and make sure that all eyes were on her. If the focus was on her, it's just this, you know, little old lady who lived next door. Then the focus was off the fact that she was pregnant with the devil's baby and that she was right. in a lot of pain and that she had been raped and that they were obviously misguiding her in ways that were that were keeping anybody from finding out exactly what was going on. Uh, another little acting uh, bit that I, I found out in in watching some of these interviews with uh, with the creative team involved in this, uh, the voice of uh, Donald Baumgart, the the guy who goes blind. Yes, that um, she she calls on the phone right to to ask him if he's missing anything. That's actually Tony Curtis's voice. Really. Yeah, uh, so Tony Curtis, for, for those of you that, that were uh, born sometime in the uh, 20th century um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and, and have only seen colored pictures, uh, the, uh, uh, the great Tony Curtis is, uh, first and foremost, to keep it horror-related, uh, the father of one Jamie Lee Curtis and, uh, and is uh, kind of a, a silver age of, of cinema, you know, legend. Heavyweight. Yeah, yeah, he's he's starred didn't they, in. Didn't they not get along? Her, uh, him, and Jamie Lee. I thought that they had some. Uh, yeah, I, I that seems right to me. 
<laughs> Caesar Barbe. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So I've seen we, True Lies. She doesn't seem that easy to get no. along with. Um, <laughs> but um, one one other one other acting thing um, that that's really cool uh, when she is in the phone booth trying to yeah. get a hold of the new doctor, the the guy who's waiting outside that really has you on edge, and you're wondering if Saperstein is on to the fact that she's on to him. That's actually William Castle, yeah. um, and so he got his little cameo after kind of having this movie snatched away from him. He did get a little cameo in it on top of this producer credit. I was wondering if the first person that we see just a backup, I want I was wondering if that was the guy who played Saperstein. Right. And then he walked away and then it came back and and I was like, mm, I'm pretty sure the first guy was fucking Saperstein. <laughs> <laughs> they wanted for, for optical illusion, but uh, yeah, that was fucking tense. That was a Oh god, it was so that that moment when she's yeah. in the phone booth and like uh, and Dr. Hills, you know, saying that he can't even meet with her and there's just and she's and at that at that point in the film everything is so tense, right? And so it's just yeah. anybody who's walking by so she's holding down the thing so she can get the call and pretending to be on the phone with that woman outside who just looks so annoyed cuz she needs that phone booth. Um and that that is that is absolutely the height of the the paranoia and the ten, the, the the tension in the movie. Oh, that was a good that was a good that was a good reveal scene too, man. She did a good job acting when Mm -hmm. The nurse was like, "Oh, uh, yeah, it's like when Saperstein wears that same fragrance, and it's like, oh, like that, yeah. All, oh, yeah, all the pieces." It, boop, 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 boop. And I was like, "Oh, I, she had the reaction that the audience had." It's like, oh, she, even though we fuck, I, I, <laughs> yeah, Saperstein at that point we knew he was in. Fucking knew Saperstein was in it, but this is a confirmation. You go, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, fuck you, Saperstein. <laughs> uh, it still it still makes you raise your eyebrows. It yeah. does. Um, okay, so directing and cinematography, I think, is something that needs to be talked about. Um, this is the movie, as, as we talked about, uh, Nara, you had stepped away, uh, but Debona and I were talking about th this is the movie that made Roman, a, Roman Polanski a, a kind of a, a household name, you know, or or at the very least, kick started his career in earnest. Um, yeah, well, so, I mean, went be, it, the only reason he got this shot is because he stole somebody's tie, and then went. To, <laughs> <laughs> and then the then the other guy went blind. It was, it was like the whole a, thing. If there was ever a, a director who later on found you found out would made a deal with the devil, wouldn't you think like, oh yeah, Polanski, that makes sense. Like, doesn't yeah. that totally make sense? Like, yeah, a hundred percent, that makes sense. No Him or Christopher Nolan, I would also not put it above mm. the fact that I think Christopher Nolan might have made a deal with the devil. Yeah, I don't know. Roman Polanski seems like the kind of guy who's morally corrupt, who's morally bankrupt. And you go, yeah, no, that seems like <laughs> yeah, fair yeah. enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I, uh, I, I enjoy. There was a lot of. I was looking at it because you gave us a list of what you got of what we were going to talk about. So I was looking at directing and uh, cinematography. Something that always comes up. Uh, cinematography. It, I get. There's a lot of things that they specifically you know praise, and it's very sixty-ish. So I, I had to remind myself, like, look at it from the frame. Stop looking at it from the frame of uh, a 60s film, which I don't like doing because The Godfather was made in the 60s and its cinematography still holds up. It's not like, oh, this is cheesy. Um, but the directing I was very impressed with because directing it, it goes hand in hand with acting. When you see bad yeah. acting, that's a bad director. That A good director gets the best acting out of their actors. Um, uh, talking to you, George Lucas. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but he, uh, he, I, I thought he did a good job. I thought, I thought he did a good job. I, I was, um, 
again, based upon just looking at it from the lens of a 60s, I was disappointed that we only got that one shot of the kid's eyes. We didn't get an actual shot of the baby. And yeah. Like, um, well, and one I thing like to- that it built up, but once we knew at that point, show was the fuck. Well, and one thing to keep in mind this this while this was a Paramount film, I mean, it was shot as a B film. This was one step above, um, like a Grindhouse film. Honestly, like uh, when they when they set out to make this movie budget wise and and some things like that, they it really was maybe not supposed to be schlocky, um, if that's a word we want to use, but it, it was a it was a low budget horror film, um, for the time. And uh, but I agree with you, um, in the fact that yeah, you look at it and you're like, ooh, yeah, this this just this is 60s right but um cinematography wise i I think that we 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 touched on it earlier my favorite thing my the the thing that sells this movie for me uh 10 out of 10 are those dream sequences the 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 combination of sometimes you're you're looking through rosemary's eyes and like you talked about the hushed tones you're hearing what she would be hearing um which looking back on it now you realize that the the what might have been a dream sequence, but was when she was actually impregnated um, and raped by the devil. That is a dream sequence where we get to see her in the other dream sequences that we are that are, you know, bonafide dream sequences. We're always looking through her eyes. We're seeing the way that she would be seeing things in that particular scene. We get like when she lays down on the bed and there's there's that camera just like right in front of her, like you're actually, you know, laying down on top of her. Some things like that in that sequence. I, I didn't I put this together right now, but. In that particular sequence, since we actually see her, you can look back on it now and go, okay, no, like we interacted with her as the audience because that one was really happening. We were not living in her head and in her dreams and seeing and hearing the way she does. We were part of that because that was actually happening. Yeah, that was one of my favorite scenes uh, is one of my favorite, the the moment, that was a great scene in acting wise and directing wise and cinematography wise, all of it coming together when she said, this is not a dream. Yeah, Yeah, this is actually happening. This is actually happening. That look of terror and fright of realization. uh, So, I mean, we, as me, as the audience, I already knew it wasn't because the moment the lady said uh, she doesn't see nothing. If she ate the mouse, she's fine. She, she, she can't hear anything. She can't see anything. Also, when they were saying mouse, they meant moose, right? Well, that, like, that's what, I mean, the lady even she said it. Rosemary even said it. She, oh, well, the, her husband said it. Her husband said, "Oh, this is good moose." And then her husband said, "Or as Mrs. Whatever would right. say, mouse." Just so. And weird. then, like a minute later, <laughs> and then like a minute later, she says, "You know, oh, if she ate the mouse or whatever." But so that that line of like, "Oh, if she ate the mouse," she's like that line. Let us know this is real. This is happening. Yeah. But the look of terror on Rosemary's face. And the the line and the way she delivered the line of like this is not a dream, this is really happening. That shit sent chills, man. Yeah, like, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Brutal. yeah, yeah. Well, and it's it's this sort of thing where it's like um, she ate some of it. So did she eat enough to pass out, right, and be somewhat conscious of like come in and out of consciousness, right, so that she could see things and then fall back into this uh this sort of like you know sleep or did she really just like drink way too much pass out and have a nightmare you know uh and and this is i think the the brilliance no, of no. <laughs> what do you mean 
mean? What do you it's, mean? It's, but it's, it's a way possible. It's it is. It but is. It is, is possible. It is not presented. The lady literally said, "If she, she he, lit, the guy was like, oh, she can see. She's awake, and she's like, she ain't awake. She can't see. If she ate the mouse, she ain't gonna like. There was no way. The fact that it had a chalky aftertaste." And the fact that her husband was so insistent on her, there's no husband in the world who's fucking going to pick a fight, risk getting laid over you eat the fucking mouth, eat the moose <laughs> fucking label. There is no- but, but again, Mary, you're, you're looking at this through the eyes of someone uh, of a husband today where uh, like I would hope that husbands would take a little bit more consideration uh, into, you know, what, what their wife wants back in the sixties. It was like, well, you know, you do it because, because I said so, you know, like when, when she, that fight that they have, when she says that she wants to go back to Dr. Hill and he says, what wouldn't be fair to Dr. Saperstein. And she goes, wouldn't be fair to him. What about what's fair to me? Yeah. You know, it, 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 her well-being, what she wants, is not at the forefront of anyone's mind. No, wait, hold on. So in that moment, I agree with you that her well-being is not at the forefront of her husband's mind. But uh, that is established already because he's willing to give up his fucking firstborn to for his career. Literally, if if you're a- if you're taking the point of view that all of this did in fact happen. Which, by the way, I'm with you. To me, <laughs> to, to, to me, Mary's no blown away at the idea that you like, could view this movie as it didn't actually is. happen. There's literally a black bassinet. It actually did happen. But postpartum psychosis is also a real thing. Yeah. Which- it is possible. <laughs> it, it is. It is. It is possible. Look, that, I'm with you this too. Is I'm just, imagined. This is. This is just. This is. This is the. Uh, this is the ambiguity that that Polanski was after. Right. And, and it, does, so, it doesn't, it doesn't make for, it. He failed in my eyes. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> there was no ambiguity in my eyes. I apologize. Uh, I don't mean to speak ill. Of never, a, never apologize to Roman Polanski. Uh, yeah, no, I, you I, do I not apologize. deserve your apology. I, don't, I apologize <laughs> to the child rapist if I offended his uh, his artistic uh, uh, liberties here. But no, I did. If he was going for ambiguity, he lost it on me, brother. There was no ambiguity <laughs> on my part at all, whatsoever. Maybe I'm, hey, whatever. Now, to, to go to go back to the the artistic uh, quality of of the director, right? Um, there are essentially uh, anyone who has done even a little bit of study into film knows this. There's essentially two schools of of thought when it comes to um, filmmaking. Uh, uh, for, for cinematography, right? Uh, there's uh, what they call mise-en-scene, which is uh, creating the um, the action uh, by the use of, like, w- something is happening in the scene. You're putting the story in the scene. And then the other is montage, which is the use of editing to like cuts right to to put in what is going on so something where someone's having a conversation you can either have the whole conversation in frame or you can cut from one person talking to the other right what we see a lot of in this movie is a combination of those two things where there's a lot of mise-en-scene where uh reality is happening where there's no question right the uh when she's talking to her husband about things that are going on things in the party when they first come into the apartment to view the apartment there's a really long shot like you don't realize it but that's it it reminded me a lot of 
the uh, the shot in is it Goodfellas uh, where where they're they're walking like across the street. They go behind the restaurant right into the kitchen, and you know it's it's one of those shots where it's not ostentatious. It's not like throwing it in your face, like hey, look at this great single shot take. Um, but it is one of those things where the action is totally unbroken, and you know there's there's the sense of realism because the camera's gonna pan from over here to to over here and and then there's there's more world that's been built on this other side, right? And then when it goes to the dream sequences, there's lots of cuts. It's cutting to her 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 face, it's cutting to her point of view, it's cutting to the cultists, right? The witches that are raising her up and, you know, looking at her. And it's, it's a, it's a brilliant way to change up the storytelling. And, and I don't know if this goes back to Polanski or if it goes back to William Fraker, the cinematographer, but it's, it's really, really brilliant how, how they, they kind of change up and use both those storytelling techniques to, uh, to, to, to get, point across you know that's the, ultimately that's that's what you know that's what film is you're trying so to get a point in, across in the and i agree with in in the uh perspective of or maybe the ambiguity aspect of it how would one go about explaining or talking about the guy who went blind the actor that went blind who actually went blind who swapped ties with him about the the her friend who died who lost a glove like, how would one go about explaining that in, if if they were to believe the ambiguity aspect of this? Horrible coincidence. Chance, yeah. I mean, these these things happen. <laughs> these the, these things happen all the time. So the, yeah. guy, so the guy who lost his glove and then went into a coma for three months and then died, but before dying had underlined passages in a book <laughs> explaining exactly these things, that was coincidental. Well, look, I mean, again, from the perspective of if, if yes. I believe this is like, oh, she's uh, crazy with pregnant women. You know how them crazy broads are like if I'm <laughs> to believe that, like I also have to believe that these people died or went blind or whatever the fuck. Coincidentally, after like the dude literally like for the sake of he underlined the passages where he was like, this <laughs> yeah. what happens, and then you got to get a stolen, uh, stolen, you know, uh, article of clothing or whatever the fuck personal effect. And then that same guy who had a personal effect lost, like that same guy died. Like, all right, that's like now remember. Um, and and John Cassavetes does a really great job of being a dirtbag, right? Um, yeah. but but he he tells her he's like, oh, he's he's too old to be on these like child, uh, what does he call these boyish adventures? Yes. You know, he How about Hutch. Uh, Hutch, right, and and Hutch very clearly is set up in one of the very first scenes as someone who is, has a uh, a very fanciful mind, right? Right. He, when he's talking about everything that's gone wrong at that building they're about to move into, and, yeah. And so he's a guy who very much lives in this, you know, anything can happen world. Exactly. So the fact that he would go out and find this information doesn't doesn't surprise me because it's all been set up, and. He's an older guy. Maybe he just woke up and, uh, you know, with a, you know, an aneurysm and, and that he went into a coma. You know, who, that you who guys knows? Both felt that, like, I, when they were setting up that thing, he's like, oh, you know what happened at the turn of the century? And then he, like, told all those stories. I was like, man, it must be fascinating not to have Google. 
Like, <laughs> be, like bonkers. Like this guy literally just like he was a living Google machine where he was like, "This is what happened, and this is the right. stuff that happened." I, I I never once thought, "Oh, what a fancy! What a, he has such a fantastical mind." I was just like, "Oh, that's cool. He fucking reads. He knows shit." Like I immediately thought, "Oh, this is a guy who knows shit and is like knowledgeable." I never saw him as somebody who had like a oh a whimsical mind. In my mind, and I saw that scene, same one that we all saw today, and I was like. Oh, okay. So this is a guy who knows shit that happened. Who's not, you know what I mean? Like, and then even the husband was like, Oh, I knew about this guy, but I didn't know about the other two cases. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and like I said, I'm with you. I think that it all happened. I just, that line that the husband gives lends us to say, Oh, then this, this all did happen. Because if one of them is true, then what's, why are we believing? Why would we not believe that the other two stories are true? We Are talked you? about this. I, I can't remember if it was on Shiver or Geek More. Um, these lines get blurred all the time. Uh, but we talked about how, like, certain stories just get like become part of like the the zeitgeist, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we talked about um, uh, Richard Gere uh, and Marilyn Manson. Uh, R- Richard Gere, and Marilyn Manson, exactly. You know these together. stories where before no <laughs> before before the internet existed. You know, we all heard about the Marilyn Manson rib story. We all heard about Richard Gere and the gerbil, you know. So these are these sort of like urban legends that, you know, get put out there and people are like, oh, yeah, no, I've heard that. You know, and then with, with enough uh, repetition, it just becomes yeah. legend. Right. Yeah. Well, that'd be like the, that'd be like the funniest animated like mockery of a fairy tale. Richard Gear in a gerbil. You can just see the font in cursive, like. Uh, one one other thing while we're talking uh, direct directorial decisions when she's in the waiting room when she's decided to finally go see Doctor Hill and she picks up that Time magazine the is God dead the is God dead cover that isn't that is a real cover from yeah. um, from 1966 or 67 I mean around the time the movie was made and it was just it was such an awesome decision for this one great moment that really didn't. It all it did was add ambiance, but it was such a great decision to have her pick up that magazine and just get that tight shot of just looking at that cover because that played so perfectly into everything that was going. I on. had to rewind it because I was like, "Wait, did that say? Did that say is good dead or is God dead?" And I was like, "Wait, what?" Because I wasn't reading. The, I did. I was just like, "Oh, she's picking up a magazine." And then, like, right as it went off the screen, I was like, "Wait, did that say good or God?" God damn it. <laughs> I went back and rewound it. But yeah, yeah, it was good. It was a good. I mean, the fact that it caught my attention shows you right. how, to your point. It shows, yeah, I did exactly that. Yeah. Um. All right. So next, and I don't think we'll talk very long on this, but one of the things that gets to me about this movie, and there's a there's a couple of movies where this happens, is um, the score. I think it has such an effective score. Um, that it just like, it's like a creepy crawler. It gets under your skin and doesn't really let you sit comfortably in your seat. Right. And it's, uh, it's, it's remarkably underscored if, uh, if, if that's a term, right. Cause you're right. You, you get used to there not being any music. So then even when there is, and it's these real, like, you know, just dulled tones and, and it's, it's just whatever it is that's playing is really 
tuned down. And, and so whenever it happens, it, it it's not anything that makes you wonder if there's about to be a jump scare. It's, it's just enough to where you tense back up. Like if you had a moment where you were starting to relax and you were mm-hmm. starting to kind of put some pieces together and some things like that, when there is music, it, it, it resonates with you. Like you feel the music in this movie. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> All right. So this- <laughs> it, it was. Uh, I agree with the underscore thing. It was very much underscored. Uh, the last um, couple scenes at the like towards the end. It was, I think it was really. It captured all the anxiety of. There we go. What yeah, happened. Yeah, so I, that's I good. Yeah, uh, yeah. I um I, I love it, and I I actually like that there are sections of it, uh, you know, whole sections that that are not uh scored at all, you know, and, and I think that that's something that was uh quite popular in the '60s, um like one of my favorite '60s films, Bullet with Steve McQueen, um is one of those where like music is used to like ramp up tension. And then once it reaches its breaking point, there's silence. And all you hear is the ambient noise, uh, which works really well with, with that iconic car chase. Right. Uh, And I think that that works really well here too. Um, There's a couple scenes where that happens. uh, Like the scene right before Rosemary crosses the street, Right. And she goes like into traffic. Right. That's ramping up with music. And then as she crosses the street, it all just kind of settles down and becomes much. But but what you're hearing in the background is the cars really laying in on their horns. And and that is for real. That's exactly what I was about to say. I I don't know if that was true or not. yeah, yeah. Roman, Roman Polanski got a camera. He convinced Mia Farrow. He says, I'm going to cross the street with you. You've got your belly on. No one's going to ram their car into a pregnant lady. And, and they just did. walked out into New York traffic. And they just walked out into New York traffic because he really wanted to get the the authentic sound of uh, of of traffic coming to a halt as 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 a as a woman just walks in, you know, in in a like a like a fugue state down the street and uh and it's brilliant it's absolutely brilliant and then uh, the other scene that really sticks in me with the score when she is um kind of escaping into the apartment right after she's been picked up from dr hill that she like jumps into the elevator and she she lurches the elevator up you know just past like the seventh floor and opens it up and she's trying to get into the apartment before her husband and Dr. Saperstein and all these guys get in there. The music really, really ramps up. And even though I've seen the movie a couple of times, I was still like, is she going to get in? Is she going to get in? Yeah. And, 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 and as soon as she slams that door shut, the music cuts off. It's, it's brilliant, brilliant use of, of music and, and, and sound design. It's um, I, I, I think it really adds to, to that, that atmosphere. You know, it's a good shot, uh, not to take away what you're saying, but you know, I just remembered because you talked about the last scene is when the bassinet that she had bought was rocking and she was hiding from her husband. Oh, that's a beautiful shot. She stopped stopped it from rocking, not with her hand, but with the knife, but with the knife. And such a brilliant choice. And they've got that creepy ass doll in it, too. Yeah. Whoever made that choice, whether it was Mia Farrow as an actress, Torres, or whether it was uh, uh, the rapist uh, uh, as a director. Uh, <laughs> that choice was perfect because I was like, "Oh, that's a because that shot, the way it was set up, 
like you could just see the blade and you like and it just stopped it from rocking and that was, was well done. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. That that is that is one of the most tense things that happens in the entire movie. And that was in, that you're right. That that's an incredible, incredible shot. Because right. I mean they could have done that same shot with just her hand, but the fact that it was done with the knife, I was like, Oh, okay, here we go. You you know what to me, I think the most unsettling uh scene in the whole movie is um since we're talking about like really great shots um is after she's locked um guy out of the apartment and she's coming into the bedroom you you can see in the background in the darkness there's two people who have obviously snuck in yeah the closet and they're doing the creepiest fucking creep walk across the hallway but yeah. i'm thinking about it now and like yeah. my hairs are standing yeah, it's on like, end i've got goosebumps just thinking about it's it it's like this bizarre it's, combination of like yes. horror movie and abbott and costello type yes. thing it's it's so uh it's so weird like that's that's the only thing i can think of like it is weird it's um it's almost kooky you know um it it it's not a natural way for someone to, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's not a natural way for someone to like stalk in an apartment. Like you would think that they would just try to be as quiet as possible, but these people were being weird. Yeah. It was, it, it, and it gets under your skin in, in a way that I think very few scenes do. And, and to, to me, that's the shot that uh, this time around, I was like, Holy fuck. I was watching uh that was probably close to two o'clock in the morning. That that scene when I was watching it last night, I was like, oh god, I'm gonna have a hard time going to sleep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh okay, so the um the next thing that I have here is something that we've kind of covered a little bit already is plot and theme. Is there anything in particular that stands out? Um we kind of already did this, right? Yeah. We've talked about uh, we talked about the different themes in here. Um, we talked a little bit about pacing. Um, I, I I think it's it's so perfectly paced. It's 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 such a slow burn, and I think you need that very slow and 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 deliberate building of tension until you know everything just comes to a head. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I, I agree do. with you. Uh, to get, I don't want to get off this topic to. Just a moment that I had before I forget. Um, mm-hmm. So the other young girl that was originally taken in by the uh, Terry. Terry, Terry, why did she die? Maybe she couldn't have kids. But that's what I'm saying. Like that, mm-hmm. I, I, I was so interested in that story. I was I... so interested in like why did she jump? Because she did it while these people were out of the house, which I, you know sets it up for it. it there's undisputed there's no dispute that, that it is suicide, whether or not she was, you know, in control, in yeah. control, or whatever. But I was very interested in that story and it just, nobody talked about it again. Yeah. Like I, I, like, my, and I was like, eh. well, I she, she's of, even given that, that little yeah, charm with the tennis she was given that charm. And she never said like, you took this off a dead body. You gave mm-hmm. me something off a dead. Like I was never, like there was some mention of like, oh, she Terry had one like this, or I don't remember what exactly, mm-hmm. but I, it was so weird. Like it was such an interesting storyline. I wonder if something got left on the cutting room floor, 
because See, I, it's so it, weird. It that certainly it, did. Uh, I know that there's a lot, not that there's anything about that particular story, but um, Polanski said that the original cut of the film was four hours long. Oh, gee, so he, knows, he knows Zach. He knows. Yeah. Zach. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, right. so there, there's a lot Zach that got cut out, and, and, and a lot of that goes back to the fact that he was pretty much hanging around the set with the book. Um, like he he went back to um, to his apartment after after he agreed to do this, and pretty much just adapted the entire novel into a screenplay. And shot it uh, like almost word for word. The dialogue that is said is is taken directly from the book. Have, have the, you read the, the book? author? I've never read it. No, uh, it's always been on my list of things I, I want to read. Book. I need you to read this book and tell me what the fuck happened to Terry. I need. I need. I need to know. <laughs> my, I'm not gonna fucking read this book. Let's be real. I've, the, if there was gonna be another book that I was gonna read, this was not gonna be. The so the head canon that I've kind of put together with this is she talks about how great they are and like they're these grandparents that she never had. I, I like to I like to kind of imagine that she was living with them and she was they were in the process of yeah, giving yeah. her all these. Be- well, I know that, but they were in the process of giving her all these benefits, like what happened with Rosemary and her husband. And uh, then she was not able to have a child no, I uh, thought the same thing. with I thought the devil. The same thing. And so and maybe maybe they stopped making her life great. You know, well, maybe he- maybe the benefits dried up. So she. Jumped out I had the, the same. I don't want to say that I thought the same thing. I, I said I, I had the same uh, hypothesis. I was like, oh, maybe this is what happened, or maybe. The, but it left us like there was so much detail to the little bit that we did see of Terry. The fact that she had a brother in the navy. The fact like there was so much detail for somebody who was only in one scene. Two of you caught the dead body part, uh, and I, I'm just so curious to know like why was that left in there. And never spoken about again. Like nothing was ever talked about it again. And I'm just so fucking curious. And like it, it, it was killing me the whole movie. I was like, "What happened, fucking Terry? What <laughs> <laughs> did Terry do that shit? We need we need a Rosemary's Baby uh, prequel. Like I just I was in my mind. I thought yep. I, I literally thought that to myself. I was like, "You could make a prequel with Terry, and then make them, and then at the end of the movie is her killing herself and the scene of her killing herself and fucking you know the these other people fighting her. But I, it, like. I was there were it was so I thought they were gonna do like a throwaway. I thought they were gonna at the end where there was where they were all there around the baby. I thought they were gonna say something like you're 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 it's uh you're his mother, something that Terry could never provide. You know, it's some line there of, you uh, go. something to make me go, ah that's why, <laughs> Terry, that's why Terry got got, bro, because you needed to get got. Like I was, I was waiting for that, but I never got it. I I did a little reading uh while while you guys were talking here, and the general consensus on the internet is that there's um just enough to point to uh Terry not allowing herself to be used in the ritual, uh because apparently the the day after. Uh, like the the very next time that we see um, the Woodhouses in bed after Rosemary meets Terry, she hears arguing next yeah. door, right? Uh, oh, and then yeah. and then the very next time that we see Terry, she's dead, right? Uh, and then she receives the Tannis root charm uh, as a gift, right? So uh, Terry was being groomed refused to take part in it so and maybe 
So then they were like, well, the, the new route is to just not let them know what they're in on. Exactly. Yes. And, and that, that would explain that like change in tactic. Okay. So that, that makes an awful lot of sense if you ask me. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah I'm on board. I also just need to get verified. Everything that we all three said makes perfect sense. I just need somebody from the from the crew cast or book to fucking verify <laughs> that because it doesn't, you know, like what we say makes perfect sense. But what about if it was like, no, it was a contract dispute and this bitch didn't want more money. And then they were like, fucking like, fuck it, kill her off. And like, oh. Okay. Yo, speaking of contracts, and this this has nothing to do with the movie as a whole, but one thing I read about, this movie is the reason that Mia Farrow got divorced from Frank Sinatra. Yeah. He, did, he, did you he, read why? Yeah, because he told her, you have to make this movie or my movie. And she tried to do both, couldn't, and she chose to do this movie. And then he delivered divorce papers to her. Baller status, though. <laughs> yeah. He, <laughs> um, he told Frank Sinatra, I'd rather do this other movie than if I Because had his movie was filming on the West Coast and this one was filming in New York. So right. it, it became, it became, you know, it was, it was impossible for her to make both. And he was like, well, then what's it going to be? Me or Rosemary's Baby? And she was like, well, Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. He was doing a movie called The Detective. Uh, which is quite famous and is the movie actually um, that earned him the uh, right of first refusal for Die Hard. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Die Hard is uh, technically uh, or rather started out as a sequel to The Detective because the book it's based on it's is a sequel to The Detective. Uh, huh. they, they then once uh, they wrote it, knowing that Sinatra at like, you know, 80 plus years old was not going to get involved. And so they had they all had the same, offer, but they had to, offer right. It so he, he, uh, he didn't even read it. He saw it and he was like, yeah, listen guys, I'm, I'm not doing this. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know any of that. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. So uh, he, uh, he, there was supposed to be enough time in between her doing Rosemary's baby and the detective for her to be able to fly out and, and go do the detective. But Polanski was consistently running behind and actually Polanski, yeah, like immediately, like within the first week he was behind and Paramount was on his ass about it. He, uh, he says that he ran into uh, another powerhouse director from, uh, from that time, Otto Preminger. And um, he's, he told Preminger that he was really nervous that he was going to be fired. Uh, and Preminger said, why? He says, well, because, you know, I'm, I'm running late and, you know, they're, uh, they're not happy about that. And he says, do they like your dailies? And he says, well, yeah, they love the dailies. He says, then don't worry about it. You keep doing whatever you're doing. He says, I've in the years that I've been making movies. Uh, and at that point, Otto Preminger was a legend. Uh, he goes, in the years that I've been making movies, they've never fired anyone for delivering a movie late. They've only ever fired someone if they don't like the dailies. And sure enough, you know, um, he didn't get fired. <laughs> well, there we go. And, and, and Mia Farrow believed enough in the movie that, um, that she, she, she hung around. And uh, she says that she actually, she was served papers, divorce papers on set. Yeah, they 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 made a you know the 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 lawyer made a big deal about it, embarrassed the fuck out of her, and then she wiped her tears off, like she signed all the papers, wiped her tears away, and went back on the set 
and 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 did a scene like that's that's ball, fucking badass status yeah, yeah. she should have signed it with fucking tennis root <laughs> the, the the one other really fascinating thing about that went into the production of this movie um and i'm sorry to just kind of wedge it in here but uh no, let's do it robert redford was the original yeah. pick to play uh woodhouse but uh, apparently he had had some like he was in uh he was in shit status with paramount and um some some contractual stuff had gone bad with something previous and he could not make a paramount movie at the time and so they ended up not going with robert redford as rosemary's husband yeah and subsequently because uh john cassavetes was uh was cast cassavetes also was a director um and Polanski had been an actor early in his career. So the two butted heads a lot because Cassavetes had his own idea in his mind of what some of these shots should be like. And Polanski's like, but this is my movie. Right. <laughs> Cassavetes is like, but she's too young. And he was like, no, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Like anytime anybody mentions a story about Roman Polanski in an argument, I'm like, yeah, but you fuck kids though, right? Like, so, like your judgment Man. is suspect on this one, Roman. Like, that's like, that's you know, sorry. Yeah. Uh, no, he's, he's uh, human garbage. Uh, uh, what hell of a director. But, uh, <laughs> oh man all right so out of five possible tannis root smoothies how many do you give nary so difficult i've been thinking about this since i watched since i finished watching the movie it's so difficult um i'm gonna go three and a half oof Wow. Okay. That that last shot really fucking did it. It, it to me it un like I said before. I'm not gonna harp on it. It just undid the growth that the main character had fucking done. And to me, uh, you know, as we all know, endings can kill a movie. Uh, but that to me, uh, it wasn't. It wasn't like it was. It was rudimentary. It was like you you just undid all the character growth in one in one shot that that had taken place throughout the whole movie. But what I did like about the movie, I thought it was fantastic. I just that it was it's hard. It's hard. Okay. Uh, Bonum. Um, I, I uh, you know, this isn't just me harping on the fact that that it's that it's a classic. I mean, this movie's in the, the Library of Congress, but it's it's five out of five for me. Um, this movie uh uh is I think it is beautifully shot. I think it's amazingly well acted. Uh, I, I and I one place that I you know like Neri's it's losing points for Neri um, because of that final shot for me that was the one last thing that I didn't see coming and so that, you that didn't see it? Okay. no 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 I'm saying I'm saying I didn't see it coming to where she was just gonna be like all right well I guess this is my life now she right? left like, the fucking knife I knew exactly where, when they started fucking convincing her and they started being like it's your baby you should take care of it it's just, they're, they're Louise is too old and blah blah like when they started that bullshit and she didn't have the knife anymore like had she still had the knife in her hand i would have thought maybe she's gonna fucking but when she started walking towards and she's like oh you're rocking her too fast i was like oh fuck. right I, but I but and see like and, and like it's i just i view that as further character development in in who she was becoming and uh so this is absolutely five out of five uh tannis root smoothies for me i love this movie from <laughs> top to bottom every element of it i i think was just amazing it stinks like tannis root <laughs> um, <laughs> um yeah, this this is also a five out of five Tannis Root smoothies for me. 
Um, I, I think that this is one of those movies where if you add or remove anything to or from this movie, uh, it becomes less than what it is. Uh, the, uh, the ending, I think, is perfect. Like I said, I didn't like it the first time I saw it, uh, but subsequent viewings have changed my mind and like entirely changed my mind. I think that it helps um, further explore those those themes of um, like repression and and uh, what it's like to to be subject to a patriarchal um, uh, system. I I I absolutely love it as as a as a piece of uh, you know feminist commentary um, as as a as a as an exploration of the fears of of pregnancy. Um, of you know agency over your own body it's uh, i i think it's it's absolutely perfect everything about it is perfect um i i wish that roman polanski wasn't such an absolute dirtbag uh because it, it's the only thing that stops me from re-watching this movie more often so uh so there you have it we got a 3.5 a 5 out of 5 and a 5 out of 5 so um Next week, um, or next time, whenever it is, um, uh, we will be doing what, Neri? Uh, let's see here. Uh, we're gonna go to the picker, we're gonna go to the wheel. So, Neri, Neri has created a picker. Oh, you've got oh, so I've created All a right. wheel picker with uh, oh, I don't know what the hell that was. Uh, so that sorry. Uh, so I created a wheel picker, uh, and to the audio listener, if you're listening, it's basically I, we're supposed to come up with which movie we're supposed to watch. The you know we take turns. So Rosemary's Baby, if you listen to the previous episode, is uh, the bonus pick. So I'm supposed to come up with the next pick, uh, but I had a bit of a trouble uh, pick, making a decision. So I made a I made a um, wheel of fortune uh, wheel, and then I've made selections for each kind of subgenre in the in the horror uh genre and i've i've, I've chosen uh there's a classic slasher comedy zombie gothic found footage a recent which means a newer uh horror movie thriller body uh horror psychological and supernatural which again i took these and by the way the movies that i picked for each of these uh, of these subgenres are based on Google searches. Don't fucking come at me and be like, well, that movie's not really much. I mean, if you think about it, uh, so let's go. Let's see what, what we pick. This, and I like this idea three, a lot. Two, one. Oh, it's even got sound effects. Oh, another classic. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm I'm curious what you picked for your classic. All right, oh, so what's your classic pick, Neri? Dude, uh, this is a movie that I, I have never seen. By the way, most of the movies that I've picked in any of these subgenres, I've never seen. So this is a movie that I've never seen, uh, my pick. Uh, and it is a classic as well because it has to be a classic, but it is an iconic classic, and it is The Shinin. Oh, oh, The Shining. All right. Yeah, the Shining. I've never watched The Shining. Oh. Uh, the one I've seen, like maybe 10 minutes of The Shining, all put together throughout the years. And the longest part of The Shining that I saw was on Ready Player One, which is <laughs> scary. That's that, pretty that, good. Oh, yeah, my God. Neary, this is, this, is, this is a tonal shift 
from yeah. the movie that's not scary often throughout to the yeah. shining. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, I've seen certain clips, like certain. This movie is so iconic. The Shining is so iconic that there's certain clips that I've. You can't help but you like everybody's seen. You know what I mean? Like if you've ever watched an Academy Award, you've seen the twins, you've seen the fucking hallway, you've seen. But I've never seen it in context. It, yeah, it's all out of context. Yeah, it's yeah. totally different. Yeah. So uh, this is fantastic. I I love yeah. this movie, so I'm very excited. Um, and I think the last time I watched it was just before Doctor Sleep came out. So yeah, it's, me it's, too. It's due for a rewatch, which is another. I want. I was thinking at one point uh, when I was going through the list of like which movie should I pick. I was like, oh, maybe Doctor. Uh, I don't know. I was like, wait, I can't see Doctor Sleep because I've never saw Part One. Hell yeah! All right, so the show. All right, there the we go. All right, so um, thank you so much for uh for tuning in if you're listening on uh on, on a on a podcast audio uh audio uh we uh we kind of encourage you to to watch us live we're recording this live on on facebook and on youtube uh so we we would love the interaction like we had today with uh with robert and with missy uh so so please uh watch our social media uh instagram Twitter, Facebook, where we'll be updating you guys, uh, saying, "Hey, we're gonna go live at this time. Uh, please, you know, please come on and uh, and interact with us." And if you uh, go to shiverpod.com, you can get linked to all of our social media, which is all just backslash shiverpod as it is. But uh, shiverpod.com mm-hmm. is your one stop shop for all of our social media. There you go. And 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 speaking of uh, shiverpod.com, you can also go to uh, geekbro.com where you can pick .net. up .net. .net. Sorry about that. Where you can pick up all of the Geek Bro podcasts. We've got uh, What's Up Bro. We've got Mount Geek More. We've got um, Better Let Me Tell You. Uh, is Comedy Fitness still a thing? Uh, it's coming back, but it's, it's, it's taking a long hiatus like Shiver did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've got uh, Childlike at Best with Mike Valdez, a dose of Ellie. Um, am I missing any? Neary's new one. Uh, oh, yeah, seasons. seasons. Yeah, seasons. seasons. Of a TV podcast uh, where we uh, review uh, a TV show uh, one season at a time. So every episode is a review of a show's entire season. Uh, and the first season of the podcast seasons is Parks and Rec. So episode one, we review season one of Parks and Rec, and episode two of the podcast, we review season two of Parks and Rec, and so on and so on. And we are already working on season two of the podcast. So that's already a thing that's going to happen. Awesome. You, you won't have to wait for you. And that gets, that gets a Netflix-style release, right, where you drop, like, all the episodes of seasons at so one time? I haven't talked to the other panel members. Uh, so originally, yes, it's like uh, here, here's because, you know, when we first started doing – this podcast seasons a tv podcast we it was like binging was a thing like oh you everybody does a netflix style binge watch but we first started recording these literally i'm not exaggerating four years ago so now weekly releases are back in style i guess thanks to marvel so uh, (laughs) me and the other panelists are having are like should we release them as we go along and then, so we're going back and forth between that. Maybe, maybe you can do the Hulu format and drop three, and then drop I, the, I the rest of them. That, I thought about that as well. Like maybe we should do yeah. two, or, like just however. However, the next show that we're watching on wet your beak. The next show that we're watching on the podcast seasons is uh, uh, Superstore. 
uh, on partly a uh, main reason. Of, first of all, it's a great show, but one of the panelists, which is Dave's wife, Stephanie, has never watched it, has never seen it. So I want to kind of pick a show that one of the panelists has never seen before so we could get that perspective. I have never even heard of this show. It's uh, America Ferrera? Yeah, yeah. 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 He hates Hispanic people. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. Oh, wow. It is, uh, yeah, as a Hispanic myself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, wow, yeah, this is very well liked. You know, that old chestnut, the self loathing Hispanic, the, the self loathing Hispanic. Yeah, there's there's so many Ted of us out there, right? Ted Cruz, there's well, uh, it, it, it's an island, it's an island. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, uh, so thank you. Yeah, this is a lot of fun, though. We gotta keep it. Oh, this yeah. is great. Geek so, uh, yeah, geek, geekbro.net, uh, on behalf of everyone here on Shiver, fright you very much.